Welcome to another episode of the NPCs Discuss, where we talk about the video game industry, events, history, controversies, and more. On today's episode, we aren't strangers to the world of VR. TV and movies have taken us to places in virtual reality that truly seem like a world within a world. A world free from restrictions where you can do anything you want in the virtual space. And of course, games aren't new to VR either. Gaming juggernauts of the 90s made attempts to capitalize on virtual reality during the 16- and 32-bit eras, offering unique takes to bring VR to the masses. However, for some, it wasn't the right time or the right level of technology, and VR took a back seat. With the lessons learned from days past and a rather successful crowdfunding campaign in 2012 that set the rules for VR gaming, the surge in adoption and support is showing that VR isn't going anywhere. How does VR look compared to the 90s? What are some of the concerns we should be focused on? And what's next for the tech? This week, we are VR. My name is Travis Sherman, and as always, I am joined by Kyle Inman. Kyle, what's up? Oh, not a what's up. That's why I said what's up first. That way you couldn't say it first. Ha <laughs> ha! Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so VR. Yeah, VR. We should have done this, like... We should have recorded this episode, like done a VOD of it. And like, I know you don't have a VR headset that can plug into your computer. I've got my Quest 2. We could have done like the whole, you know, if you did, we could have done the whole avatar thing in like VR chat and, you know, right. done this in there. But, oh, well, too too late for you to run down the street to go to Target and get a right. headset. Missed opportunity, especially now that um, the unfortunate news of... Uh, and actually, it it occurred just a couple days ago of Meta increasing the price of their headsets. Yeah, Meta, the parent company of Facebook, did on August first up to the price of the Oculus Quest Two or Meta Quest Two from base model two ninety nine to three ninety nine, and the next tier up from three ninety nine to four ninety nine. Which for that four ninety nine price for that headset, you're getting what is it two hundred fifty six gigabytes of storage. And that's it where you could go and spend that money on, say, something like an Xbox Series X for the exact same price. Right. Right. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? A bit. um, Especially when you consider the amount of uh, games in the VR library. I mean, it does uh, lead into the social aspect of it um especially with it being meta and you having to actually have a facebook profile in order to log in to the headset um but i mean aside from that there there are the the uh, vr chats that that are available through it but i mean as far as the gaming library you're you have such a a far larger offering if you go with the the series x versus the meta um and i mean it obviously not not the level of interaction of course but um that i guess that's kind of dependent on the person yeah and of course like you know outside of that i mean vr itself is more than just gaming or at least it how it had been presented at least for quite some time anyway there's been a lot of evolution towards vr being used for training tools there's vr being used for rehabilitation in some forms uh especially like uh for older folks though too like not even necessarily in rehabilitation but like the adoption of google street view and being able to say you know travel to a childhood home uh the ability to consume non-game content in a vr headset such as watching netflix or youtube videos and 
it's not all exclusively gaming anymore, but it's definitely, you know, that's its mainstay right now is definitely gaming for sure. And that's really where it all began back in the day. Uh, like, I don't know if you knew about this, though, Kyle, but the funny thing here is that according to Wikipedia, like one of the first VR headsets that's actually listed here was something that Sega showed off. And I, I wasn't even aware of this. I don't know how much with I know you're a, a Sega fanboy anyway. And, you know, I'm actually not surprised that you don't have one like sitting behind you somewhere <laughs> like right. that you ripped off. But apparently they had one out in 91 and or they announced it in 91, showed it off in 1993 at CES, and then they never released it. But they took the tech and turned it around to their arcade technology instead. Do you remember the the chopper? Or what was it? It was like a beach defense game where you had to like hold onto the handles and you didn't wear the VR headset, but you put your eyes up to it and you could move around and shoot at like I planes do, and helicopters. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was actually called Beachhead. It, I, you know, it wouldn't actually shock me if that was the case. Yeah. It really wouldn't. <laughs> but no, it's like, you know, we talk about all this level of immersion and things and a lot of these other things you could do, but the true focus of VR back in the day was games. I mean, you know, that was where a lot of people put their emphasis on, uh, on, you know, the technology was playing stuff. And I don't know if we would consider it this way. I mean, you know, Sega was moderately successful, but they had to transition arcade. But of course, one that pops in my head that's kind of that way was Nintendo with the, uh, with the, uh, Virtual Boy or, yeah, Virtual Boy, right? Yeah, Virtual Boy. Oh, yeah. The headache inducing, um, I don't know, nightmare-fueled red and black um, color scheme VR headset that they put out in the uh, what early, mid-90s? Yeah, and exactly. I mean, I played on one. I remember when Sears had a uh, video game section. They had glass cases around, and they had all the different video game things you could try out. I remember that. That was the first place I tried out a Game Boy with the uh, Game Boy camera and printer but also tried out the Virtual Boy. And while it's called the Virtual Boy, it wasn't necessarily VR as we probably understood it as kids at that point in time. What it actually was was just the two lenses coming together to be able to create a 3D image in front of you so you had that sort of like level of depth to the games you were playing. But Nintendo being the juggernaut that they are even to this day, failed. Yeah, very much so. I I, I want to say the uh, Virtual Boy only had a handful of games that came out for it. I don't think there was more than like 40 games uh, that ever launched for the Virtual Boy. Um, I, it might even be significantly less than that. Yeah, um, if I remember reading right, I think it was either 22 or 25 games total. Yeah. So, I mean, and... and like I said, it was one of those things to play it for an extended amount of time uh, for a lot of people caused headaches uh, because of the color scheme, because of uh, just being that close to the the uh, low quality image, because uh, it was essentially like a Game Boy image um, that you were watching. That really was. Yeah, because the cartridges were a little bit wider than uh than Game Boy game cartridges at that point in time. A little wider, I think they're about the same height. But yeah, that's exactly what you were doing, is like with the Virtual Boy, the idea was that you'd be able to pick it up and take it with you. It had the collapsible tripod underneath, and you could play it just about anywhere, but it was definitely really like not built to 
take places at least as as Nintendo was aiming to do with it. Right. I I feel like it was definitely more of a a home console just because of how delicate the the tripod was. Yeah, but I don't think you could actually output anything from it to like a television though so you could see what was going on outside of what you could see inside, right? Not not that I remember. Yeah, see, so it, that's where it kind of introduces that weird kind of mid-ground because it wasn't meant to be a home console because home consoles at that time, it's like you had to plug into a TV to do anything with them. And, you know, it didn't, it met only a certain level of portability and it, it still, you know, Nintendo just still was not successful with it. So it's just another, it's it's another bookmark in their their tenured history anyway. But, you know, digging through the rest of history stuff here, though, too, uh, Sony uh, made an attempt as well, too. Uh, what they called the Glastron is what they tried to release, or they at least released a uh, a couple uh, models of this one, too. And from that point forward after that, VR really took a back seat. And I would say our only real view into things VR at that point in time, besides any of the arcades that had Beachhead or some of those other uh, VR-style games there, um, the only thing we had was what we'd see in movies and television. Like, I remember uh, there's two movies in particular off the top of my head. One we can argue about if you want to, but the first one was Hackers. Oh, yeah. Because they had... Uh, what was it? It was there primarily. It was the the main sysadmin guy who put on the headset and then had the the gloves on or whatever and was trying to manipulate stuff in it, whatever in in the virtual space where they kept their servers at for some reason. Uh, and then the second movie, of course, was um, The Matrix. And I know that didn't involve a headset or anything like that. The only reason I say that is because they were in the real world and it's like for them to do what they were doing, it's like they had to plug in and connect into this environment that was just an extension of, of themselves, you know? Yeah. And like, I don't know why this name comes to my head. This is a movie I have not seen, but it's one that I've, you know, that pops in my head too. It was like, what was it? Johnny Memnonic? I don't know. If oh, I'm Johnny Mnemonic. That. That's it. Thank you. I didn't know if I was pronouncing that right. Would that would be classified as something that like focused heavily on some of that VR space type stuff too. You know, it's it's been so long since I've actually seen that movie. It's I want to say it's been over twenty years. <laughs> well, don't worry. I'm sure I'm gonna have pissed off a bunch of people anyway from you know what I just said. So uh, <laughs> you know, such is life. But anyway, no, it's like a lot of our VR and uh, like our VR interaction with anything was truly with movies and television, just by seeing like what they were they were doing. Mm. But it took all the way until. 2012, which th this is what's crazy, though, is that it took until that long when some people decided, hey, we're going to go ahead and throw something together, and the Oculus Rift was born. Right. And, I mean, for a lot of people, that that was like a big bri bridge that was gapped um, for VR because prior to that, we had only seen, you know, the the really good VR in arcades. It wasn't possible at an affordable cost point um, to have VR. I mean, you we looked back at the previous attempts back in the '90s and and said, yeah, this is what we're gonna get. And that that's kind of what I I think was 
one of the reasons that it got shunned for so long. But with the the launch of the Oculus Rift uh, pre uh, Facebook slash Meta buyout, uh, it aside from you know having just the uh, the cameras in the room and of of course an egregious amount of wires, it gave you a VR experience that was comparable to what you know level of of gaming entertainment we were playing in in that current generation of games. I what was it like? I I think that's technically seventh generation at that point. Hmm. I'm trying to think right now. I don't know if it was necessarily. Maybe it was. Let's see. 2012 was uh, the Xbox 360 PlayStation 3 era because it was 2013 when the the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 were released. Right. So. But I regardless, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it gave us, you know, the the ability to play games that were, were comparable to what we were actually getting to play on on consoles, on TVs, on actual PC games that, you know, we were, you know, playing first-person shooters all of a sudden and having the ability to play it on a headset and, I, I guess, get more of the the actual feel for it and not have to have military-grade um, VR technology that that is more tied to, like, a simulator. Yeah, you could have your situation where you're playing some sort of first person shooter and it was truly first person in the way that you would have to interact with weapons and accessories and equipment. And, you know, if you need to duck behind cover, you're not just going to hit the B button on your controller to go behind. You're actually going to have to like duck and manipulate your way, you know, to the, the virtual cover that's there in front of you. And of course I, I, I do say first person shooter just because it, it, it was and it is still currently a uh, a viable uh, form of training for like military, you know, in in certain situations uh, to use VR um, for tactical situations, and it, it just that that kind of translated over. But I mean, there's tons of other applications of games. I mean, we we've seen games like Minecraft, um, as well as like you know exercise games or even beat saber um games of rhythm you know they they get you up and moving <laughs> yeah we've we've really seen like the the step forward in those that you're not just playing you know i i kind of think back to the days of like the wii when motion control tech was trying to be adopted by microsoft with the connect and with sony and the the playstation move platform and you know, all those different things that came together. And of course, a lot of the emphasis was on, you know, obviously, of course, it was going to be all movement based, but you saw more things that dealt with exercise than you did with your your core gameplay elements. And mm -hmm. while Beat Saber, of course, is a rhythm game, and it is something you do have to move to because you're using these, these lightsabers effectively to cut down shapes as you're going through a song, you know, Guitar Hero Rock Band fans already know exactly what I'm talking about. But it wasn't until there were more hardcore interactive titles that really did match what we were seeing on consoles, though, especially that gave that next level of immersion and entertainment that we maybe didn't think was possible there when the first Oculus was released, when the first development kit came out, you know, these shooters oh, yeah. or, or the idea that we're here. And it was what last year, I think when resident evil four was ported and rebuilt to be able to run in VR and you could actually play as Leon Kennedy in first person in that game. Yeah. You know, or even just a few years be 
uh, before that, we had Skyrim release in VR. We had that, and then the first standalone, like two of the first standalone like VR specific titles, which include Half Life Alex, and of course we've got um, the Medal of Honor game though too, uh, that was specific like for yeah, Oculus above and beyond. That's it. Thank you. So yeah. when the Oculus first released, the the Oculus first came into being anyway. It was definitely one of those things that tapped into a market that nobody knew existed in the first place. But it was so successful, you know, it's still considered one of the most successful Kickstarters out there. Uh, but it's interesting looking at some of these details here that we have in our show notes about kind of where things began, at least in that technology, in the sense of like, if we consider like day one being the Oculus development kit having released, the very first one. Mm-hmm. Is the you know is the technology that went into it, and more specifically, the screen resolution, which according to this was six forty by eight hundred. You're wow. talking. You're talking like you're talking like monitors we used to use it. Yeah, like a resolution, CRT like as ki- yeah, as like kids in that when we were learning how to like type. It wasn't until the development kit two came out that we got not necessarily double. We got what was it like a thirty three percent increase one direction and well no about thirty three percent increase overall and you know it just ever since then it's just been going up and up and it's interesting to think that that's what people were playing on at least you know back in twenty twelve when that first uh, released and how how things have gone up to this point too so well and I mean not to jump too far ahead but it, it's crazy to think that now that. There, there's a company that that puts out an 8K uh, version of a headset, both a 5K and an 8K version of a VR headset. Obviously, maybe probably tailored more towards uh, entertainment or a uh, a some sort of like corporate use um, for for maybe construction or something uh, where you would need that sort of power and um, resolution, but it's crazy to think that, you know, we came that far in just uh, 10 years' time. Yeah, yeah, it's weird to think that it's been a decade now since the the Oculus first released, you know, at least in Kickstarter form. Uh, but yeah, it's like, you know, as, as the technology has grown, of course, resolutions have definitely increased because the access to higher quality panels with that higher resolution on them, you know, the cost has gone down, so it's been easier to adopt some of those. But what Oculus did, though, was really set things in motion with how the rest of the market was going to evolve. And what's interesting is that of all like of all companies to get involved in any of this whatsoever, it had to be Valve. Yeah. It it had to be Valve and the fact that just out of left field it's like Valve partnering with HTC, a phone and tablet manufacturer who are now going to be working in tandem to create the Vive, which at that point when it came out, uh, I believe the Vive, you know, was in tandem with the first Oculus Rift in regards to quality and the actual screens and such. But it seems like the Vive really took off more as like the formidable one that everybody was clamoring for just because of the built-in like Steam support, like right off the bat. You know, and it's like, oh, it's from Valve. It's like these are the people who who want to do this. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm all on board, right? 
I mean, up until Valve uh, decided to launch their their own headset a little bit later on down the line with the Index, uh, yeah, the the HTC was. I mean, if you were like more of the connoisseur, I felt it was the way to go, uh, just because it offered. Um, well, it was more expensive, but it did offer more um, <laughs> resolution and. It did have the features, like you said, with Steam. Yeah, and it's not to say that like the Rift wouldn't work with Steam anyway. It did have its own, I believe it was both storefront and UI, and it required a little bit of working around to get it into the right spot to work with it until right. some point in line. You have to forgive me because even with all the research, though, and in, in trying to prepare, I wouldn't be surprised if I inadvertently overlooked something. It's very possible the Rift may have, have had support right off the bat. That's That would be my fault if that was the case. But anyway, uh, but what's interesting, though, still, is that even though we saw the partnership with HTC and Valve to make the headset, and yes, uh, Valve did go off to make their own headset later on, the fact, though, is that the market was cornered by just those two groups it was cornered by oculus and it was cornered by valve that those were the only two headsets that you could you could actually pick from and they weren't like they were actually at some point in time rather cost prohibitive because and this is one of those interesting things when it comes to vr is that for you to have a vr headset your computer has to meet certain requirements to be able to output what um output the games themselves you know to the headset because the headset didn't do any processing the headset was literally just an external display that had to you know ship data back and forth much faster than just you know like a keyboard mouse yeah i i mean it it changes the the whole thing because it like you said it didn't have a processor in it initially and then you you look at the the slight advancement of just a couple years later with uh oculus um when they partnered with meta and came out with the all mobile not even having to disconnect it version of the uh i want to say go or actually was the go before meta's partner uh i believe it was or it was when or it was when Facebook bought Oculus, but they were still like separate entities before they, you know, before all this Facebook meta branding kind of started showing up on things. But yeah, you're right. Like when it came to VR stuff, though, too, is that like everybody tried to capitalize on it, though, in some way or another. And you make a good point about the Oculus Go, but that's not really the only other one that we could even bring up, though, too. You're talking right. You're talking the Samsung Oculus partnership where you could buy a Galaxy S7 and sometimes you get the free headset that you could pop the phone into and use, which, um, yeah, don't do. I, I did that. Don't do it. Um yeah, and I, I I felt like that the offering with the Go and some of the Oculus partnerships with Samsung devices offered very similar experiences. It was more of just like your um, augmented reality experience slash, uh, you know, I, I guess media consumption um, in in that that VR realm. There there really wasn't a whole lot you could do as far as games. Um, at least that's the way I felt. Um, it it was more about just consuming the content and not interacting with the content. Yeah, that was, 
And that's where we kind of entered a very interesting phase of VR is that you had this higher tier of VR experience with with Oculus and Valve doing their thing. And then you had mm-hmm. Oculus release the Go, which was really, like you said, exactly very specific to just content consumption, watching videos in VR, uh, the Google Street View stuff. Uh, you also had Google who implemented their own VR, AR uh, platform into Android. And we got introduced to Google Cardboard where here, you can just download our, our, our blueprints off of the internet here and grab an old cardboard box and cut out your own headset here like this and just fold it up this way. Right. But then you also, it's like after that happened, and I know like that you've seen a lot of these, especially Kyle, and I know I have too, is the number of cheap VR headset adapter things for your phones that just ended up lining the shelves of every store out there. Oh yeah, especially during like Black Friday and Christmas, uh, every you know niche store had had them. I mean, I think Hot Topic had them, Spencer's Gifts had them, GameStop had them, J.C. Penney's, Dillard's, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, you name it. Um, they all had their own specific or specific versions, I, I should say, of of these like cheap just clip in knockoff VR headsets and and really all it was is it came down to you could pretty much just consume video content in in this like weird shell around your face um <laughs> yeah it, that's that's exactly all it was for is that it was just to capitalize on doing this little thing here too and again with what Samsung did in partnership with Oculus was kind of closer but yeah you didn't have any interaction with anything because you would move your head around and you could see things in a virtual space but you were bound to the resolution of the screen on your phone and the fact that uh phone screens of course were not like you know they were getting to be higher resolution at that point they've been getting to be higher and higher Mm -hmm. resolution since that point in time but even with something like that though you could still run into that screen door effect that ends up becoming one of the bigger problems for VR at any point in time. You don't want to have that experience where it looks like you're looking through a screen door. You want clarity and and crystal clear graphics. You want everything there to be just as it looks in the real world, you know, to a certain point, but, you know, I digress. Oh, yeah. But, I, I mean, I, I think that uh, a lot of those headsets were, were just a, a side effect uh, of the Go, but the, the real effect of the Go was the, the fact that um Oculus really showed us that um you could make uh, a a uh, portable VR system that was affordable which, which bridged the gap for them to come out um with the current or quest well the current quest and the the first generation quest um uh, that that allowed people to play games once again uh but without being wired to or tethered to a TV or you know, computer of some sort. Absolutely. And what we'll do here now, though, before we get into some of that wireless side of it, especially into the next evolution of VR, we're going to take a quick break. And yeah, when we get back, we'll talk about wireless VR, what else is going on in VR space, some of the things we need to be worried about, and of course, uh, how funny I look when I play VR. So we'll be right back. And we're back. 
So where we left off there in the first half was talking about uh, next-gen tech when it comes to VR headsets. And Kyle, you were talking about the wireless side of it and kind of yeah. where we're at now with it. Well, and the the wireless side kind of did happen at the same time Sony was actually, you know, having their advent of a successful VR run um, on the PlayStation Albeit as a wired headset, but a very cumbersome wired headset. Let's let's a put very that cumbersome that way. wired yeah. headset. But I I mean it it started working more into that affordable price point for people, which actually opened up the headset. But with opening up the headset, it also did mean it was more attractive for companies to buy out, like Facebook. Um, hence the the whole meta buyout of Oculus which is where we were at now with these wireless headsets that are more affordable. Now they have had that price jump. They're still a little bit more affordable, but um, I mean that they're a more affordable, more definitely more accessible headset that, you know, there's a lot of like kids and, you know, a lot broader range of adults that, that want to try the VR and experience, you know, all that it does have to offer. Yeah. And that's, that's a very good point on it for sure. Because now over the past, uh, I think I've had it now for over a month is I've owned the Oculus quest two now for over a month. And that's exactly one of those things that you're absolutely right on is that I would love to be able to afford a higher tier VR headset, something like the, um, something like either like the HP Reverb or the uh, Vive Pro, you know, something that does reach that higher quality when it comes to like the internal screens and such, or even maybe like the index, for example. But you are right, though, is that the introduction of being wireless, the fact you don't need a, a high, you know, high performance computer to play VR, and, and you can just go to Target or Walmart and pick one of these things up and just go, you know, definitely makes it one of those new, like, adoptable technologies that isn't, like, out of the realm of possibility for the the average gamer or the average person who wants to try it. Yeah, or, yeah, like you said, the average person, average consumer that wants to try it. I mean, it, when, it, when it was $300 and $400, respectively, uh, depending on the particular model, and even now still $400 and $500, it's still more affordable for you know, someone that, that is, I, I guess, an older adult or to, to go out and pick one up that, you know, maybe they they've, haven't had the connection to gaming in a while. But it does also offer the ability to access, like, their Facebook because they have to, you know, connect to their Facebook anyway. Um, yeah, at least as of right now. All of a sudden, as of right now, correct, yeah. still. um, I Because I, I think they are going to potentially change that in the future it's actually very soon uh i don't know the date right off the top of my head but it is very (laughs) soon they're going to be removing the requirement for facebook accounts to be signed into to use the uh, oculus quest but regardless i mean some of excuse me so some adults that you know maybe have been out of gaming for 20 years and you know they're Maybe they're retired now, and they they have access to Facebook, and that that's one way they connect to their relatives. It gives them the option to you know connect to you know people over Facebook, but maybe also get to try out something that would make them a little bit more active. 
but not have to go out and and necessarily spend more money you know they they can continuously do the one activity that they've purchased on that headset yeah and where that also kind of helps at least like bridging that gap is for those who maybe do have a gaming rig like a gaming pc of some type and maybe they can't go all the way up to one of those higher tier headsets well the bonus now at least since the quest has come out and the quest 2 has come out is that now you can actually link that headset into your gaming pc and take advantage of those vr games on your computer without having to go buy one of those higher tier headsets now you have that ability and if you want to play wireless you can it's just it does have its nuances though kyle that's that's one of those things though that you need to be Mm -hmm. aware of is like for for example so i bought beat saber on my oculus quest 2 okay i can play that on my quest 2 wirelessly no problem it's it's a great time the problem i have though is that when i go and connect my oculus quest 2 to my pc i do not have a copy of beat saber on my pc to play on my quest two, I have to buy it again. It was not a dual entitlement copy that works for the Uh Oculus app on my computer. It only works for the Oculus quest itself. Meaning that say I wanted to stream it. Like I wanted to show you something, you know, um, or I wanted to take advantage of some of those mods that people have put into beat saber, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, custom songs or some of this other goofy stuff that that's been put in there, I would have to buy a second copy of it. So that's another one of those interesting things is that dual entitlement only exists on a few things in the Oculus marketplace. Uh, but I, I feel like that that's also partially like a, a, a storefront lockout type thing. Most likely. Um, like, you know, I if if I buy a copy of and I was about to say a game that that's not even out on Steam yet. Uh, shoot. It, I, I don't know if I buy a copy of say Bioshock on on Epic Game Store. Um it it it's not gonna work on Steam. Right. That's just how it works. Well no and I, just... I think that's kind of what they're leaning into is with the Facebook marketplace. It's just unfortunate that you know you can't gain access to that marketplace on your PC. I think we're part of it is just that it is in theory the same ecosystem that it is the Oculus system you're using and it is the Oculus Quest that you're using. And even though you bought it there, it's like for me, like with my iPhone and my iPad is that they're synced up. So the apps that I purchased on my iPhone will also work on my iPad, though, too. I don't have to go and buy them a second time. You know, they're going to look a little different because they're going to be using things that are scaled up right. for the iPad. But it's the same application overall. That That's really where I'm getting at, you know, when it comes to those nuances. So if you have any like any like urge to go buy a game of some type and you are one of those who owns a gaming rig that wants to do you know the exact same game on your gaming PC well you're going to have to be a little bit more a little bit more focused on the details of the game you're purchasing to see if it has that dual entitlement feature if not you know you could end up in the same boat that I'm in right now but that's just that, that's a little thing there that's not a big thing just it's a nuance though to be aware of it kind of does make me curious um do, does uh meta have a storefront for pc uh for the quest uh you're so you're talking specifically like the apps that you would put onto the quest itself um right right so do you have is there like a separate storefront for like if you if you're connected to pc or is it just easier to access uh games via steam or another platform 
but it, it obviously is going to vary. You can buy games on the Quest 2 as you're wearing it. You can go into a shop there, go look through the games and, and purchase and download right then and there. Uh, mm-hmm. It does have Bluetooth built into it, so I can actually sync it up to my phone. And even though it's all connected to, to Wi-Fi anyway, though, still too, um, I can actually look through their storefront on my phone and purchase apps there and tell it to install to my Quest right off the bat. I, I could just do it like that or at least have it queued up and ready. So the next time I turn on the Quest, either the game's going to be downloaded and installed or it's going to um, or it's going to install as soon as I boot it back up. Uh, mm-hmm. On the... As far as I've seen, at least on the storefront for the desktop application for Oculus, that's going to be the same thing, kind of like when you're in Steam, is that it's like you're going to see, here's games, here's apps, select this, go search, and then, you know, you... You do all the things necessary to install what you want to install, but it, but mm-hmm. the stuff on the storefront for the computer is going to remain on the computer itself. You're not actually installing it onto the headset that way. That's rough. But I haven't seen an actual Quest, uh, like an Oculus Quest app marketplace on PC, and I guess maybe that's because I haven't gone looking for one. But as far as I can tell, it looks like at least it's it's limited to what you can look through on your phone and what you can do on the headset itself. Maybe that's because the uh, Quest is still kind of in a weird place, being as it's really the only standalone VR unit that that doesn't require uh, a PC that that's been successful. Well, there is a there are a few others so, out there that do that. Like, um, I think you have to forgive me. Like, I know that Valve is putting one out, um, or, or not Valve, but HTC, and theirs is supposed to be wireless as well though too but uh, i'm just not sure exactly how it fully interacts with everything though compared to say like the quest yeah it it, like i said it maybe it it's just because it it is in that weird space they don't necessarily need to have a a a pc storefront or if they do it doesn't have to have that dual entitlement because they're they're the only one that that's really out there that's standalone that doesn't have to be connected to a PC all the time. Yeah, but I do like the ability though with my headset to be able to actually hook up to the computer because when I do that, I load up the the desktop Oculus app and then mm-hmm. as for anybody who's owned a Rift before and has used that, you know, it's the exact same interface that you're used to using there. And then through that, granted, yes, it's another hurdle. I can then launch Steam VR and play VR titles that I've purchased through Steam through the Oculus that way. So it's a little bit of bridging and jumping, but it all still works no problem. Oh, okay. So it's it's nice, at least in that vein, that I'm not tethered to the Oculus environment and I can't go out of it. Um it's not perfect, but it does work. And I mean, it, it's, you know, I've played Half-Life Alex okay. Right. So it's, it you know, with the way that technology's evolved, you know, as we've talked about, like with the wireless stuff, though, there's, there's a couple other things I want to focus on, but then it kind of turns into the negative here once we start talking about some of these things. Well, the first one is, um, is uh, body tracking. And that's more specifically body tracking as it relates to, um, not necessarily like your hands with the controllers because, you know, the ones you get out of the box are going to be detected, but that's about it. I'm talking about more like um, full body tracking that can be done, say, through, um, you know, like your webcam because webcams have become much more intelligent now, but also mm-hmm. um, mouth tracking. 
where if you're playing a game like VR chat, for example, where you're interacting with people, that your mouth movement can go one to one with um with or your character's mouth can go one to one with what yours looks like just because of that tracking technology. And while that's cool, especially for folks who maybe are hard of hearing and work based on like say reading lips for example you know that's a great technology there and for the full body tracking part too it does offer another layer of immersion especially if say you wear like a haptic vest or or haptic clothing that ties into vr but you reach into this problem though and, and this is something of course that's come up especially as of late and a lot of the focus has been more on facebook side of it or meta side of it um is safety more than anything, more specifically, like um, like safe in the virtual environment as it relates to exploitation or anything of that sort. And I know it's a it's a, a like a sore subject to really kind of talk about here, just in general. But it's not one that can be avoided in the world of VR. I mean, we've seen how VR chat can like turn out, you know, just in YouTube videos, right? Oh, absolutely. But it, it's not just exploit exploitation i think it it is uh, a bit of harassment too and and you did say uh, maybe not so much the hands but i i mean if you tie the the haptic feedback vest in um hands can be a big part of it especially with like harassment because i i I, one of the articles uh that we had uh gone over kind of or that you'd put in the doc um one of the uh, people wrote it uh, said that they they had had uh, someone in VR chat actually harass them and was like doing groping actions and stuff. And had had they been wearing a haptic feedback vest, you know, it would have been going off where they would be grabbing them. So it would that that's inappropriate in and of itself. But I mean, there is other other forms of harassment too, even beyond blockings. If you're in uh, VR chat, because it, you may block the person from your vision, but it doesn't necessarily block that person from anybody else you're talking to. So it's almost like you're interacting with them via proxy by accident. Yeah, but it still opens up kind of that that unfortunate gray to black area that that ends up leading into a lot of that suggestive the suggestiveness and the bullying and the harassment because. You know, there's if there's one thing about the Oculus Quest that, you know, I see as a parent more than anything is that it is accessible to kids. You know, it's easy enough to have one of them play on something like that instead of something convoluted like uh, a regular VR headset, because that requires a little bit more setup instead of just, hey, throw this on. I can stream it to my phone to see what you're seeing and help you navigate through. Um, But there are problems with that though still anyway that the ease of access to something means that you could run into these situations where kids are going to be you know anybody who's who's suggestible really kids being the big one you know they're going to be coming across and seeing things and and could potentially do things that are harmful and dangerous in that vein or interacting with people that are trying to cause them to to do things that are harmful exactly exactly that's that's definitely a big one and that's why it's like you know, while VR as a whole, you know, is definitely something that needs to be like looked at when it comes to this, it always comes to back to being targeted towards Meta and Facebook, which 
for good reason. You know, they do not have the best track record when it comes to how they handle um, harassment and bullying and um, a lot of these other problems. I mean, there's news stories galore out there where you can go and look at this stuff even just for their standard content for things that get posted on Facebook anyway. Um, but now that they're trying to expand into what they're calling the metaverse, which I know big eye roll, um, it really does start to kind of bring together even more problems. Now it's like, okay, now you're not just taking what people are posting on there. Now it's people acting out these things that, you know, could lead like that are to the detriment of the people using them, whether it is a kid or whether it's a person who just wants to, to play a game like you or me, you know, it's yeah. And a lot of it, uh, well, I maybe not a lot of it, but part of it does have to do with the the person's psychological perception of of how you know they they in intake the the data from the headset. I mean, yeah, y- you you're watching it, and you know some people perceive it it more more and more real. I mean, you look at videos of people getting injured, and when when someone goes to like dive and they accidentally injure themselves. To them, what's going on in the headset, they can't necessarily discern from what is reality at that point. So, And that's that's a good thing, yeah, because you're not talking about just the psychological part of it, you know, what we're doing. Now we're getting into, like, the actual physical problem of VR, which, I mean, I've got yeah. dents in my, my headset and my controllers now because I'm not playing in a big enough space for it. That's, that's just my own fault. That's just the way my house is built. But you well, are right. And, I mean, with... The, Without traveling too far into that that just yet, I mean, if if that's happening with people, you know, I I don't know what the game is called where you're on the the balance beam, you know, between two buildings and you see a lot of people like fall down and they hit their head or whatever. Right. It, it's like if that's happening to people, how are children or even adults perceiving what they see or um, contextualize it of what? is going on in like vr chat or you know in in multiplayer games in vr um if someone is acting lewd or you know obscene or you know just doing something that that's completely inappropriate yeah and i mean i'm grateful that vr chat has definitely evolved now where there is unfortunately still some of that going on but they've they've built up enough tool sets behind the scenes to help really keep a good chunk of it under control as far as I've, I've read and I've hopped into VR chat a few times and haven't seen the level of stuff that I've seen like in YouTube videos, but that's not to say that it's not out there. It's just, it's definitely probably better than it was when VR chat first came into being, but yeah, you're right that there are a lot of people out there who are suggestive enough that, or, or at least who are not in the right mindset that they hop into VR, that they're not psychologically prepared to be able to, to do some of these things. Now playing games is one thing like playing um, beat mm-hmm. saber, you know, or um, there's this roller coaster VR game that we've got though, too. There's not a lot of that really when, you know, when it comes to games, you're not going to find these things that are going to mess with you, but it's when you get into those social interactive experiences that, um, you know, even these VR multiplayer games that aren't VR chat um, that you don't have people potentially ready for because now it's a different level of interaction instead of a keyboard mouse and a controller now it's like your whole body is moving to do this thing so right yeah it is hard to separate but like you know well and i mean even i recall back in the uh uh the launch of the playstation vr there there's a uh 
a demo that launched with it. I believe it was part of a, a game, like a London heist game uh, for the VR, that at one point you get shot and people were actually thinking that they had been shot. Um, there was videos of people that they'd freak out and they'd throw off the headset and they were, you know, panting and stuff because psychologically, you know, they had just gotten shot. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's like the same thing when people get motion sickness in the game, though, too. It's like you're playing something like a, a flight simulator style game or... Yeah, like the roller coaster game I have. Um, you've got that in like that motion sickness feeling, like as if you're actually on the real thing because of how your mm-hmm. mind perceives it. So yeah, you're right. There is that type of panic that can go into there, but you really have to look though still going forward at like the physical punishment of VR though too, where like you said, we see videos of Definitely. of people who prank their friends playing on a VR headset where yeah, they're doing the balance beam and they go over and they like push their friend and their friend freaks out and then they fall over and hurt themselves or they break the VR headset. Or um, the the they're doing the vaulting game where yeah. you have to vault and dive under stuff, and all of a sudden they've run into a TV that's you know eight thousand dollars, yeah, you know, that was hanging on a wall. Yeah, or they swing so hard they actually break the strap off of the end of the controller and it goes into the TV, you know, a la Wii remote. Yeah, so you do end up with a lot of those physical things. But what's interesting though to think about here is that is that you know there's all these these terms and conditions that you agree to. There's all these health warning prompts that do come up to say, it's like, Hey, make sure that you have the space that you need. Make sure that you have, um, make sure you have, uh, you know, the, the proper area, make sure that you've set your boundaries, right. Make sure that you're hydrated as well too, because VR is a physical experience. You're going to need to be, you're going to need to be well hydrated to do some of these games. Um, but even when you do some of that stuff, you're still going to have situations where you could um, like unintentionally like die. Uh, there is one experience here and I'm trying to find it. It's in, it's from uh, svg.com here is where they put it on this. And I'd actually remembered reading about this too, when it originally happened. Um, it actually happened in Russia and it was this guy in 2017. Um, he, he fell on a glass table. Yeah. And a, if I recall, yeah. And apparently what had happened is that he, um, is that he fell, he hit this glass table, he noticed that he was bleeding of some type, though, but he didn't think it was that bad, and he went back to playing um, VR headset, like, his VR game. And, the uh, like, at least that's what they're believing to be the case with the amount of blood lost, is that he went in playing his VR game, and just, he he died from the blood loss there, just because he was working so hard, it just, you know, it didn't stop, he finally passed out, rest came out, and he died. And you've got enough of these situations with the physical side of it that I'm surprised that there hasn't been more deaths. Um, And then circling back to the psychological part, I'm waiting for the moment that someone plays a horror game in VR and actually dies from a heart attack. Right. (laughs) Because it's getting to that, it's getting to that level. Like seriously, it's getting to that level. And well, and even you were saying like you, you've, uh, put some dents in the wall by accident or, oh, you yes. know, damage the ceiling. Um, it it kind of makes me wonder, you know, or raises the question as to, you know, should should VR games, now that we're seeing headsets that actually have uh, out-facing cameras that, that can see the, the real world, uh, maybe the game should cut out when you have a designated boundary. You know, it just, like, literally stops right there instead of, 
Um, and I know there are some meta games that that actually do that now. And if I'm not mistaken, Half Life Alex does that too. Is that when you get um, too close to a boundary, or you get, um, or what is it? You get too close to say like a wall in the game itself. Um, that area ends up going like a bright yellow to really get your attention. So it's like if you get too close to it, it's like it's almost like someone uh, turning on like a yellow colored light right in your face as you're like up against it. So you get that sort of visual cue other than just the, the grid space in the area too, that if you reach your hand through this area, it's like, Oh, you're passing through that boundary that you set, but you do get more visual cues though still too. So there are plenty of other games that do it. Uh, Just, I wanted to at least throw that out there as another example. Oh yeah. I I also kind of wonder though, if there, if games are going to have to start like giving you the option to, you know, map out an area um, like, you know, raise your hand all the way, you know, make sure you have the space so many steps this way, so many steps this way in order to actually play the game before you make the purchase to play the game. So you can actually say, oh, well, I just made this $50 purchase. Well, I can't play it now because I have a low ceiling in it. It's a tennis game that requires me to, you know, spike the ball every now and then. Yeah. And that's like, that's one of those situations that it's like, I haven't put on my headset in a couple weeks now just because you know it's like it's part of me it feels a little is a little tedious to do in some fashion because i want to play more half-life alex but i have to run the cable i got to make sure everything's cleared up and out of the way and then i got to do you know all all the setup and get it every like get it, it everything in order to get it working so um you know but my biggest problem is just it is lack of space to do something like that beat saber no problem but more interactive stuff yeah yeah, prior prior to us recording, I watched a video actually of of Markiplier uh playing I think it was uh selfie tennis and he had to stop because he uh accidentally punched the ceiling trying to to overhand hit the ball and like like dinged up his uh HTC Vive controller really really bad. Jeez. But hurt himself in in the the um in the whole event and and the the whole thing is like at what point do, do game manufacturers have to you know avoid getting refunds or any sort of like recourse because it's not covered in the health and safety that you know thing you know you could incur this much property damage simply because you're wearing a headset that that covers your vision yeah that's you know that is, or actually, you know, you don't have the 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 actual place to play, um, because they didn't give you the option to map it before you bought made the purchase. Yeah, that that's definitely a, um, that's definitely a interesting thing to consider in that one. However, at least when it comes to like the mapping part itself, when you're setting up your boundary, that's a headset level thing. That's not necessarily a game level thing. So when I go to boot up the the quest, I have to draw out my boundary unless it's a boundary I've been playing in already, you know, in previous sessions, mm-hmm. um, I either have to redraw it or if I'm doing like my stationary mode thing where like, say I'm sitting in my chair, then, um, you know, it'll recognize that area as well too and have everything set up right. But that's a headset level thing. That's not a game level thing. But to that same effect, I mean, shouldn't the the headset, if you've already set that boundary, be able to tell you, you know, oh, well, it knows where my height is it should tell me that I, I should or shouldn't be able to play this game uh, depending on the environments I have pre-programmed. 
Well, I, you know, that's actually a very excellent point on that one. And I, maybe we use that as the segue here to like the kind of like next steps for what we'd like to see maybe with the VR stuff though, too. And that I think actually is a great thing. That's actually an awesome thing to consider almost is the ability for, um, for the headset to determine if your play space is the right level to do what you want to do in that game. And if it could do it before you purchase the game too. And I think we're actually coming up on that technology here very soon with the PlayStation VR 2 because it does have full room mapping built into the headset. So it looks like you can still draw your boundary though, but it looks like it might have some other feature set they didn't get into deeper detail to scan your whole room and determine elevations of different things so you'll know here's this flat play area, here's where obstructions might be at. See, and, and I was kind of using that as a reference is uh, it like in the video that they showed off that it actually like maps out over pillows and, you know, it maps out over a couch and it is it's able to d- discern between a uh, coffee table and a TV, you know, and for that matter, the, the coffee table and the entertainment center that's like two and a half feet away from it. Um, so it, it can see that the. the different depths and different, you know, I I guess levels that are in your room. So I I think that we should be able to, to actually see that we're able to play a game even before we, we make the purchase because so many games, I mean, through so many platforms, steam is really good about it, but I mean, other, other platforms, once you buy the game, it's yours. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, whereas, you know, with Steam, they give you either a week if it's unplayed or two hours of playtime. And, you know, if if you don't like it or it's not for you or, you know, it doesn't work on your computer, you can get a refund within that time. Yeah, there needs to be some sort of like as a part of not even just the room scanning, but as a part of the requirements to submit a game for VR that you need to do room scale testing where it's like, OK, what's the minimum that this game can be played in relatively Mm -hmm. safely. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, by saying relatively safely, it doesn't mean that, you know, this is going to be the best case scenario for you. It just means that, you know, like a game where it's like minimum requirements to play this game are going to be this graphics card, this processor, minimum play area requirements are going to have to be this by this, by this, you know, going in a 3d space with your X, Y, and Z coordinates. Um, But that's going to be, I think one of those things. And I think by having, the cameras in the headsets, which, you know, that's really the way a lot of these headsets are going now is by having cameras built into them. By having the headsets actually actively scan the environment and determine some of that for you, then they can go through your library if you've already purchased a bunch of games and say, yes, this area will work for this game. Or no, this area will not work for this game. So that way it, you at least aren't necessarily like, you know, potentially in a bad spot, you at least could be made aware of it in advance, you know, in some case, you know, or some form, especially with the library that you do have. Oh, definitely. Um, Another thing I I would kind of like to see is um, since we do have that technology coming about with the new PlayStation VR is games that actually uh, potentially utilize your, your environment uh, once it is scanned say you do have, you know, a desk in front of you or a coffee table next to you, maybe that can 
potentially be used as part of the game and it recognizes it, uh, especially if it's maybe a roguelike or something. Uh, I, I, I think that'd be an interesting aspect. Maybe not totally necessary, but it'd be kind of cool to see. Well, yeah, especially like say if you're playing a uh, like I'll throw this out there as an example, which would just be, you know, the geeky side of me coming out here. But Dungeons and Dragons would be one thing. Like, say, if I'm sitting here in front of my desk and I'm I've got my VR headset on and, and, you know, in the in the midst of like covid pandemic type stuff, you know, just thinking where it's like we can't be together in some form. You know, it's like maybe just by some luck, the D&D group I'm playing with, they also have VR headsets too. Well, we can now be at like this digital table in VR, still conversing, still chatting, still having fun, but be able to interact with the table in front of us and still play games together, at least in that regard. You know, like I'd like to be able to put like my, say like a character sheet in front of me and that the cameras can actually scan and read the character sheet so I can get my numbers and, and spells or any other details off of it. No problem. I roll a dice. It can read. Oh, hey, cool. It actually sees that I got a nat 20. It offers that next level of immersion using exactly what you said by using the existing environment in front of and around you. Oh yeah, definitely. That'd be super cool. Um, be awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I'd like to see uh, so, some of the uh, higher quality headsets uh, since we are going up in quality, but it doesn't seem like we're necessarily following it as closely with the uh, refresh rates. I, I would like to see the uh, higher quality or higher, more higher quality headsets with better refresh rates at a more affordable price point. I know that's asking for a lot, uh, especially still right now, but... I, I think we're getting there. Um, the fact that, that Meta increased the price of their headsets, uh, to me, that, that that's a market ploy because of, of Sony. But I, I I think if they did go back to a more affordable price point and, and, more, and, and, and looked at that as an option, um, that, that would be really cool. Yeah, that, that would be very nice, especially. But... Yeah, I think refresh rate is going to be the key thing because I, I really think that we're starting to hit a point now with the resolution in the headsets that it's like really any higher than maybe 2K or even like 2.5K, somewhere like between 2K and 4K it is, you know, it's like, I don't know if you really need to go that much farther than that. And the only reason is just because of like what the human eye can perceive anyway, but that refresh rate is going to be very important. However, what I would like to see more of though is... And this could just be me because I do wear glasses is that I'd like to see more of like balanced out lighting in the VR headset as it relates to me, like being more immersed in the game itself, because one of my problems with wearing glasses is that um, I still do in some parts of it, don't get the full um, like peripheral vision of it when I'm wearing the headset. So it does kind of feel like in some cases when I do look around in, in just the right way that I am what feels like looking through a pair of binoculars and by mm -hmm. them coming up with new lens technology or uh, new lens hardware. So, you know, maybe you don't have as much of that happening um, that they could start to introduce more of that, lighting or maybe with foveated rendering where that technology is supposed to be where you're looking at is the highest quality and everything in your peripheral is reduced quality because all the rendering is pushed towards where you're looking at. Um, but more lighting would, I think, offer more of that immersion, you know, especially like, uh, you know, with wearing any sort of headset or anything, you do have light that does leak in. 
Um, you know, you do know you're wearing something. It would just be nice to kind of help have some of that to bypass some of that feeling, though. You know, offer that next layer of at least immersion or help with the immersion. Oh yeah, no, I I think the the foveated rendering is a is a phenomenal idea, especially you know if they were able to to add in some some sort of motion tracking for your eye, um, and you know it to to get it accurate, uh, I I think it would definitely help with eye strain for sure. That and that's one of the big things, especially for me with. Uh, like with wearing glasses, though, too, is that there is a strain problem, though, as well, is that it's wearing a headset over the top of glasses. And then um, not only is it just the pressing up against your glasses as you're wearing the headset, but also um, the additional spacer you've got to put in there to at least protect your lenses from your glasses so you don't scratch anything up. So oh, there yeah, is there definitely. is definitely a ergonomics layer of this that needs to be addressed. And I think as the technology continues to get better, granted, you know, like the Quest and Quest 2 are running mobile hardware, um, you know, maybe things will end up getting lighter and will end up being, you know, a little bit more comfortable to wear as time goes on. Well, and I, I think now that um, we're, we're also seeing... Uh, computer tech that that's more affordable and more portable with like the steam deck oh yeah um and like your your gpds and your ioneos and whatnot that are coming out i mean you've got a few different varieties of like handheld uh computers that maybe we could see some of that processing power come to a headset at a more affordable price point uh coming down the pipeline just because vr does move so fast i mean like like we said, it moved from uh, CRT quality uh, picture up to some headsets now that are coming out that have better uh, quality picture than ninety five percent of the TVs on the market. Oh, we yeah. like to get the quality of picture that you would get on like a fifteen hundred dollar headset. You have to spend ten grand on a TV. Yeah, and see what I would find what I would find funny more than anything is like going to micro center and like, here's their VR headsets. You can get the one that has the Qualcomm Snapdragon in it or here. How about you get this headset that has the, the Ryzen seven 5,700 X inside of it. You know, that's just, right. it's just funny just to think about that. And I don't know why I've already got like Linus tech tips stuff in my head where it's like, Oh cool. Here's this VR headset that has the Ryzen processor in it. And then they slap a massive knock to a fan and and heat sink to the front of it so here you are like wearing this headset that's got something sticking out like another six and a half to seven inches from six your face. brown and tan fans all around it. i already see it happening i'm gonna drop a message to linus on on twitter and just oh, tell him geez. hey you need to try this no i just i'm just saying though is that you know you could be very well onto something or by offering similar like quality technology say like what's in the in the quest 2 right now for the screens granted they're not the the top tier ones out there but they're good um offer another level of portability by using say the steam deck to plug into and interact with so you don't have to have the bulk of your computer you can just combine the two technologies together to help with the rendering and processing and play some of those other vr quality titles or maybe even for that matter maybe a more modular headset that you can customize and tailor your experience with, you know, available processors and parts that are on the market currently. So basically a framework's got into the uh, VR space then. 
Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> uh, I guess the last piece of technology, though, or at least the last piece of advancement I'd like to see on the VR side, though, and I know that there's there's been work on this, and I'd like to see more of it, especially um, even with what we said, though, kind of like talking about the negatives on some of this, some of the the, the gray and dark areas of VR, um, more advancements in, say, like um, hand tracking. Because mm-hmm. there's so much you can do when you can manipulate your hands when playing a VR game. Uh, like, I especially notice it when playing Half-Life Alex, that, you know, it's like sticking a finger out to go and press a button or, you know, grabbing something just the right way to hold on to it, you know, like juggling things between your hands. To not have to need a uh, a dedicated controller, but to have some sort of, like, glove system or better cameras, multiple cameras to be able to do the hand tracking so that way you can manipulate hey, things Nintendo. better. Nintendo. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Virtual Boy 2, coming out next summer. Bring back the power gloves. <laughs> power glove. Virtual Boy. Nintendo 3DS. It's all coming together. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> Nintendo does what Nintendo don't. I don't know. But even so, that was like the last bit of technology, at least I'd like to say. I know there's going to be plenty of others. I mean, I know that HTC has a enterprise version of the reverb that has heart uh, heart monitor, like a heart uh, heart rate monitor built into the heads uh, into the headset band. Which, while that technology is cool, I made mention of this before we started recording. Was the idea that that heart rate monitor could be tied into two separate things: one, an exercise app, so that way you can. Uh, you know, you can play an exercise game of some type, maybe in the headset, or if you are playing a different game, you can track those stats, you know, through the heart rate monitor into an app on your phone or whatever. And the second one is horror games. So using that technology, it's like, oh, the player is not terrified enough using AI. Now we know to make something happen here or their heart rate's going so fast. It's like the game realizes, okay, we need to give them a, a chance to slow down or pop up a warning that pauses the game and says, hey, you need to take a break. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think the uh, last thing I would like to see come out of it um, is also more affordable body tracking. I mean, you have the uh, Vive uh, motion trackers that you can add in addition to actually quite a few headsets. You mean the ones that look like uh, ashtrays that you strap to your feet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can also uh, strap them to like your hips and elbows. And I, stuff. I know. It gives you just more tracking. Um, yeah, but then now that they're coming out with like the haptic feedback vest and whatnot, I, I would like to see these accessories be more affordable and more mainstream, um, and, and just more accessible to, to the different games, like to get, to get some of the accessories to work, you have to jump through hoops and I, I, I think it would be, just be awesome if, you know, they came out with accessories for, the the vr that that were affordable and just worked yeah absolutely that's that like out the box yeah (laughs) something that's easy enough to just plug in sync up and go yeah i i agree with you that goes in with the finger tracking in that too so 100 percent. that's what we need uh but with that you know that's it i think on talking about we are vr you know i Maybe need to go throw my headset on now after this and go play some Half-Life Alex or something. I don't know yet, but regardless of that, that is it for this episode. So thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to this week's NPCs Discuss, where we did talk about VR. 
If you are listening to us, of course, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice if you haven't already. If you need to find a new podcast platform and you don't like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, you can go check out our homepage over at anchor.fm slash b-nbc-podcast and find a podcast platform that we are supported on. You may be surprised on all the different ones we're available on. Follow us on YouTube where we do our weekly news roundup, of course, on Friday evening, or not Friday evenings, excuse me, Saturday evenings. Uh, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. You can check us out there as we talk about the week's news. And of course, follow us along on social media. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We will catch you all in the next episode. Laters.